Hello fam, this is Ro and you're listening to Sick of Being Sick. Please follow, like, subscribe or do whatever it is that your app does to listen to our upcoming episodes. Hello fam, thank you for tuning in to this episode. As you may see from the cover art, I am doing a little uh, Friends series and about a month ago in November for my birthday, around 20 of my friends flew to Madrid from all over the world to celebrate my birthday with me. And that just gave me the idea of sitting down with every one of them and not all 20, but some of them, the closest ones, um, and asking them about their experience on, you know, processing having a close friend going through a diagnosis as such. I know that if one of my friends were to go through something like this, I would probably react really different than what I'm reacting to to myself. So just having those open conversations, um, get ready for some tears, a lot of honesty and very enlightening conversations. Thank you so much for joining us, Katie. How did you feel when you first found out or heard about what was going on with me? I don't even know how to word it because it sounds so egotistical. <laughs> when you heard about me being in the hospital. <laughs> so I feel like I had a slightly different experience than other people because for back context, we were supposed to be meeting up in Croatia with Jake. And I just remember you texting me like a couple days before we were supposed to leave and said, oh, I'm having like some health things that are a bit weird and I don't know if I'm going to go. And I was like, oh, don't be silly. You'll be fine. <laughs> we're going to go. It's going to be great. Um, and didn't think anything of it particularly. And then um, you texted me the day that we were leaving and said, no, I'm going to the ER. And I was like, again, like, oh, like, I don't know what's going on. I'm sure she'll be okay. Like, I hope she can join us in a couple days, like when she figures it out. And then when we got to Croatia, the first couple days, my boyfriend and I were alone. And then we met up with Jake. And I guess I was nervous to ask him about it because I know he had been with you. So I kind of avoided the subject for a couple days. And then you messaged me and said that you were going in for a CT scan. And I was like, or an MRI or something. And I was like, what, Jake, like what's going on? Like this is seeming more intense than I thought it was going to be. And he was very vague about it. He said like, oh, you had mentioned to me that you were having what you, you quoted head convulsions. And I was like, head convulsions, like headaches? Like, what are you talking about? And I mean, to be honest, the first thing that popped into my mind was seizures because I was like, I don't know anything that would give you symptoms like that other than seizures. And, but I guess I like didn't want to think of it like that. And I'm going to get upset. <laughs> um, <laughs> me and Jake and my boyfriend went to the most beautiful island in Croatia. And we were sitting on the beach. And I remember looking over at Jake out of nowhere, like having the best time. And I was just like, I wish Ro was here. Like this would be amazing if she was here. And I was like, Jake, can you be honest and like tell me what happened? And he in very intense detail, like told me what he saw. And I guess that was like the first moment that it hit me that this was not nothing. And I just cried <laughs> a lot. 
And Toph, my boyfriend, does not know what to do when people cry. So he was like, I'm going to go get a drink. (laughs) And he, like, left me alone with Jake. And Jake just hugged me and said, I don't know what's happening, but it's going to be okay. And I was like, are you sure? Like, this doesn't sound okay. And I think that was the first. I think that moment was the only moment for a long time that I got really upset because I think I immediately just was like, this is a lot and I can't process this. And I felt so bad that we were there having so much fun and you were supposed to be there with us and you couldn't be. And so anyway, that moment was obviously, I think that was when the truth hit me and I don't want to sound like a know-it-all, but I think I knew in that moment that it was not going to be easy and that it was going to be intense. And it, and then that's when Jake formed the group chat, I think was like either when we were in Croatia or like right after. And you were very much so using him as kind of a line of communication. And so I had a little bit of a preview access over other people. And he was listening to, to your sister's voice notes and I was hearing it from him. And It was just overwhelming, I guess, because it just felt so unreal and yet so real at the same time. And I got back to New York and I don't remember the timeline very well because it was all so fast and blurry. But the day that you, you went through your surgery and I really, I didn't know how to feel. I remember that time of the summer feeling so anxious about everything, but I couldn't pinpoint what it was. I was like, obviously my friend's going through this thing and this is like so intense. And I felt a lot of guilt and shame, I guess, about my own emotions, because I was like, this isn't happening to me. This isn't my life. My friend is the one that's going through this thing. And honestly, when people would get upset about it around me. I would have a very adverse reaction. I was like, I don't want to be, I can't be around this. Like I can't let myself get into this headspace because I think if I go there, I won't get out of it. But I felt guilty for that too. Cause I was like, I should be upset. Like this is an upsetting thing. And I had a few very intense panic attacks around that time. And I would one very distinctly, I remember I was coming home from getting a COVID test and you were like Marta was messaging the group about how they thought that your tumor originally was a lesion, yeah. not a tumor. And I think that was one of the first days where that box, that Pandora's box of like, maybe this isn't a lesion and it's something more serious was opening. And I just got the closer I got to my home, the less I could contain it. And I just sat down on my couch and I just like, and Toph was like what's the matter and I was like honestly I don't know but I my friend is very sick and I'm very upset and I can't talk to her because she's sick and I just want to ask her if she's okay (laughs) and I also didn't really want to talk to anyone else about it because there was any anything that anyone could say other than you that was going to make that any better so um yeah, I guess so many things and also nothing, which I think was not nothing like a numbness or a inability to process and come to terms. And 
um, it stored in parts of my bodies in ways that I didn't know it was going to. Like my chest felt tight all the time. My, I just felt so heavy in a way that I hadn't done ever. The day that you found out that it was cancer, Sarah and I used to go on these like morning walks together around Bushwick and we were supposed to meet up that morning and we both woke up to your voice note. And I like texted her and was like, can we walk please? And classic Sarah, she's like making jokes. And I was just like stone faced. Like I was just like, I, she was like, are you okay? And I was like, um, I don't know, maybe. I think I'm okay. And then we got a coffee and I like sat down and I just made eye contact with her and I was like, okay, I'm not okay. <laughs> Started falling again. And that moment I felt like a lot of the fears of what it could be like came true. But I think in that moment I was like, okay, I'm sad for her. And I'm sad because there's a lot that's now on the line for you, for our friendship, for all of your friends, for your family. But I also feel like now there's a renewed sense of hope because they know what it is and there's like potential to fight it. And then I fell down the Google rabbit hole. <laughs> I immediately got home. I watched way too many videos. I read way too many Reddits. And I was like, oh my God, this is so intense. <laughs> I was like, I was like texting Jake and I was like, Jake, this is bad. This is bad. This is really bad. And he was like, Katie, you need to stop. And I was like, I can't stop. I'm stuck <laughs> in the rest. I spent the entire day. I hope my boss isn't listening to this, but the entire day I was supposed to be working and I was just Googling and Tof would come over and be like, you need to stop. And I was like, I have to know everything about this, but it didn't make me feel any better. <laughs> At any point, I was like, the, all this is doing, again, confirming a lot of fears. And so um, I have a friend, a family friend from England who is a doctor. Um, he actually did a neurosurgery. Uh, I don't know. He's not a neurosurgeon, but he did some sort of course in neurosurgery specifically. And I was like, he's an impartial party. Like, he can help me. So I texted him. And he was so nice. He like gave me, he was like, I'm going to go, like, he's like, this isn't my specialty, but I'm going to go and do some reading and I'll get back to you. And I said, like, this is what Google's telling me. Can you just tell me if this is like crazy or if this is like actually true? And he was like, I don't want to tell you bad news, but like, it's not great. And he gave me like all of these things of like, this is, you know, what all the papers say and this is what the treatments are and like, blah, 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 blah. And I was just getting more and more like, wow, like my friend could die. Like, this is awful. But then at the end of his message, he said, but Katie, you need to remember like every person's different and your friend sounds like a fighter. And the fact that she went through surgery and she's so okay coming out of surgery and she has a treatment plan, like this is bad, but you need to be, you need to know that the stats are only stats and everyone can defy the stats. No one has to be just a member. And that gave me a renewed sense of like, okay, a doctor is telling me this, someone that I trust and respect. So I have hope now. Um, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is why I wanted to do this episode because 
friends and family. I have a family one outstanding that I need to do, but friends feel like they're not allowed to process it because they're not the ones sick. And this is like what I hate about this whole, I feel like there's this whole thing about when somebody's sick, it's like, don't make it about you. And of course, don't make it about you, but your feelings are still just as valid. Like I I said some sometime in the podcast, I chemo brain, I cannot tell you which episode, but I said like at the start, I felt like it was worse for my friends and family than it was for me, mm. just because... As, a, as the person going through it, I think it just takes so much longer to process slowly that your life is on the line versus your friends and family. They can like, you know, it's not their own body, so they can quickly jump to the conclusion really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to see so many things at first. Like I had been having headaches for like maybe five years. And when the seizure started happening, I didn't put two and two together. In no moment did I. Like, I just didn't want to see it. You know what I mean? It was, like, dancing in front of me, and I just didn't want to see it. I, when they said I had something in my brain, in no moment, when I was in the hospital, mind you, of course, I was under a lot of drugs, but in no moment did I think of the word cancer. Until a doctor walked in my room and was like, we got the CT scans, there's no metastasis. And I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) I was like, okay, I guess that's, what? (laughs) I'm so confused. And then, but this was the same process for my sister and I. Like, she didn't think, because we were just like, we don't know, the average person knows nothing about the brain. So they say you have something in the brain, and then you're like, okay. Um, But I think I'm happy to create a space for, for you guys to be able to open up about it, because the feelings are just as valid. And I think... You should allow yourself to get upset because it's as much as it's I could lose my life, you could lose a friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just as intense. Mm-hmm. The stats component. I'm just going to welcome anybody who's listening to this podcast to Google fourth grade glioma. <laughs> no, just so that they understand what this like, because we took, we talked so much about the Google rabbit hole in this mm-hmm. podcast. And I just will welcome you to let's like read it. And then also put yourself in the mind of like, yes, every case is different. My tumor was fully removed in brain world. Fully removed is 99% because they can't remove extra to make sure that it's like no cells are dancing around. And I mean, if you Google it, it's a death sentence. Like that's what it says. But yet again, it's so like once you start getting into the nitty gritty of Googling like, a fourth grade glioma post surgery, like post treatment. It, it's it's literally like I don't know. My my doctors told me you know twenty percent chance of it growing during treatment, mm-hmm. and you know I'm so rational. For me, it's like ah okay fine. Mm-hmm. Like, but I I am not gonna be upset until I have a reason to be upset. For now, I think that that is my my um, motto. Um, and then for the long term. Because it is such an aggressive... The problem with brain cancer, unlike other cancers, there's no cure. Mm-hmm. Any sort of medicine that they're giving you, it's like putting a stop to like whatever's there for whilst you're taking medicine. But when I stopped taking the medicine after this year, I, it could grow back. You know, there's, it, my doctor said 50-50. It really is like that. It's like... I'm also, I feel so strong. Like, it literally is it's surreal. Like, mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel very strong. I feel very at peace with what I'm going through. I feel like this podcast has been so therapeutic to, like, you know. So if you are worrying about me, worry for my life, but not for my sake mm-hmm. of being. Because I think I'm, I'm at peace. 
But then the, the stats thing, like we're both strategists, we're used to data. Mm-hmm. Part of the issue with data is it lacks so much context. I'm like, okay, a uh, 5% chance that you live past 10 years. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, and what's the sample size? And like, who are we talking about? Are we talking about old people, young people? Like, what does any of this mean? And so then when I was like in the rabbit hole, I was like trying to find, and also we're in the business of like finding the stat that makes sense. So I was like, okay, let me find the stat that's like, how likely is it that she's going to live for blah, blah, blah time? Like she's this age. And like, you can slice the data any way you want. And then I kind of realized that at a certain point, it's like, this isn't helpful. Like, the only thing I can do is, like, be along for the journey, for her journey, and, like, take it as it comes and, like, not try and make her a number before she's even a number. Honestly, the place that I found the most solace was Reddit um, because I actually got to read firsthand stories of people going through treatment. And, like, I think also, and I think this will relate to what you may ask me next, but, like, the thing with cancer that I find bizarre. I don't actually, I've had multiple grandparents pass away from cancer, but I never saw them when they were like more sick. They were always so my grandparents and you're so row, like you're not sick. And so reading in my mind, like I know you're battling cancer, but like you're so yourself, like, yeah, maybe you get a little tired faster, but but listening to reading people's stories about like these full lives that they were experiencing and like getting to travel and like their treatment plans and how they were like coping and managing and like supporting one another through that. I was like, okay, even if this is something that ends up taking someone's life, taking your life, it's not taking your life away from you completely. I know right now you, it is because you're in such intense treatment, but as long as everything goes to plan, like there's a life to be had post-treatment and you get to do the things that you wanted to do. At least that's what I tell myself in that makes me feel better. (laughs) That's my way of coping because you've always been some of, you've always been the person who is the most full of life and the most down to do shit. And like, we've gone traveling together and we talked about traveling more together. And like, I hold on to the hope of doing that in the future because that's my vision of like the ideal outcome that we get to spend more time together and do things and that you get to live this really full vibrant life that you've always lived before this. So it is like what you found on Reddit. I probably found on Facebook groups, Mm -hmm. like on Facebook groups, there is so much um, about just personal stories of people with fourth, like fourth grade gliomas. And every single person on that, on those groups are like, do not look at the numbers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Every single fucking person, it's a different case. And I have also a lot of hope on how advanced, brain cancer and like specifically brain cancer and like heart cancer research Mm. is obviously my biggest fear at the moment is the fear of regrowth um especially because I feel like I've been living with this I was living with it for a while Mm. and it only manifested like hardcore at the end Mm. so it's terrifying because it's like I won't know if it's growing until I get into that MRI Mm. but I plan to live as best of a life as I can for on three month increments I get my MRIs every three months so mm-hmm. I go to the MRI I get the results I'm happy I get to I go to the MRI I have anxiety I get the results I'm happy mm-hmm. or not or we face and then we face whatever the fuck it is if you one of the things that you did say is if it all goes as planned and I am as you know a very plan orientated person mm-hmm. 
a very organized like person and I really need to know what's happening on every like upcoming week mm-hmm. <laughs> month year um and if, if there's one thing that actually scares me most about cancer is that every single th- person I've heard is has talked about how it's just it never goes as planned mm. so that's what terrifies me the most but at the same time I think I have this naive hope that I'm this whole year is gonna go great and then it's not gonna grow again and if it grows again it's gonna be in like five years mm. that's my plan <laughs> That's my plan. Or 10 years. Just, I think part of the, the plan thing, when you were going through surgery and you were saying like, oh, there's a chance of this and there's a chance of that. Like I could lose function of my left side or I could lose feeling or I could be, you know, in hospital for a long time. And you just bounced back so fast. And you like literally Marta was like, she's holding a cup or whatever you were holding like right after surgery. And I was like, all went to plan. And so I feel like, at least up to this point, everything has gone to plan and that's maybe false hope or a naive sense of hope, like you're saying, but I think that does give me hope. And it also gives me hope because you're in such an amazing hospital. And I know you've talked about that so much, but I also know there's nothing more heartbreaking than when you have a plan and things go off plan. So balancing that, like on your side, on our side, because hope is kind of I think the strongest thing that we have, like it's the most optimistic feeling and it's what drives us. I mean, I think like for everyone, like hoping for a better life or hoping for feeling better or doing better or doing more is what gets us up every morning. And so where do you stay? Like, how do you stay realistic with the hope, but not lose the hope completely and then fall into like a I don't want to say depth of despair, but kind of a depth of despair. <laughs> I was in that depth of despair episode five. <laughs> the fear one. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, that, I was definitely, but I think one important thing that I've come to realize during cancer is that you really have to make your own definitions of everything that you're being told. Mm-hmm. Like information you know you should get information what does that mean for you because for a lot of people it would be go get a second opinion go google it blah, blah, blah. like for me and this is even hard to say now but like I was I've, I was following at the start a lot of like cancer people on Instagram mm. and when things get ugly I stop following because I don't I, I'm like this is too much information for me like I because it gives me anxiety about my own situation and I feel like it's so selfish, but at the same time, I've come to understand that I have the right to do that because I would understand if they did it for me. Okay, so I guess for context for everybody in the podcast, Katie and most of the people that are going to be in this podcast are friends that I made in New York and that live in New York or somewhere far. They're not people I can call up and they will just show up in my house. So everybody who is in this podcast has lived this from the far in terms of like distance um and I think it's one thing to do that and it's one thing to FaceTime and see me with my shaved head but my question for you is what was your experience seeing me in person I mean honestly I feel incredibly lucky um because Lauren like called me when she was here with you and 
was upset and talked about how, I mean, especially after you hit your head, <laughs> she was very upset by that. Um, and just, you know, so worried about you. Um, and when Lena came back, she was like, you know, I think Lena saw you at a particularly bad point. And actually just before we all came here, Lena and I went out to dinner and she was like, Rose really weak. Like you need to not, you know, expect too much from her energy levels. And I was like, Oh, you're being ridiculous. Like I FaceTimed her. She's great. Um, and also like for context on our friendship, like we've always been a very active friendship. Like we've gone on long walks and we've gone to soul cycle together. And like, I see you as a very active person. And so before coming here, I felt very nervous that you were going to not be that. Cause I think that I was expecting, uh, images that I had of you in my head to break in certain ways. And I was ready thinking I was ready for it, but I feel like, I think if following along in this journey on this pod, like in the podcast and talking with you, we've talked quite a lot in the past few weeks. Like I've reframed you in my head in a different light. You're the same person, but I was like, this is Ro post going through what she's been through and seeing you in person I actually felt really like fulfilled because I was like, she's still Roe that I know, but she's also this new amazing version of herself. And I'm like, you know, I was a little, ner- I was terrified actually. <laughs> I don't want to say a little nervous. I was, I was so anxious when I left England, like so happy, anxious because I was coming to see you. I was anxious, anxious because I didn't know what it was going to be like. And I was um, anxious just because there's a lot of people in this house and <laughs> I get socially overwhelmed. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I feel a little like I'm re-meeting you for the first time and like keeping that openness to accept new parts of you, but also grieving the person that I knew. You're not different, but you are. I, it's really complicated. I don't think I fully know how I feel about it yet. I think I've realized in the pandemic that I'm very much so a processor with time. And I think right now I'm just enjoying seeing you. And like, I loved going for a walk this morning and like doing things that we used to do and playing with the dog. But I think when I get home, I will feel different because I think I will have fully realized new row. Great row, but new row. (laughs) Something that you said earlier um, was around how there's row and then there's like sick row or something like that. I don't want to put words in your mouth that you might have not said, but it, that's how I heard it. And something that I've been trying to actively do is, I, and I had this conversation with my mom, I was like, I'm not sick. Right now you look at me and I'm not sick. Mm-hmm. And I was so fortunate they could take it out and it was in an accessible place. Like, it was fucking ugly tumor and it can have on paper it's like a bad boy (laughs) but (laughs) right now like I feel so good that I I can't I I, I feel like if you put yourself in a mindset of sickness you will fall into sickness Mm -hmm. if you put yourself in a mindset of health and I'm okay and I'm here with my friends and like yes I can miss out on little things like drinking the glass of wine that I would fucking love to drink during dinner (laughs) (laughs) things like that but I think um, I'm trying to really reshape or reform the way I, I um, speak about 
what I'm going through right now because it really is so hard to explain. It's like the tumor was removed, but because brain cancer is so tricky and it was so aggressive, we're assuming that there are cells there. That's why I'm going through all this treatment. It's not like people say, oh, it's like preventative, but like it is and it isn't, you know, because if there's something there, it's either killing it or putting it like a hand on it so it won't continue growing. And then I guess with that... I, this is how I'm seeing myself, but I'm so curious to sit, like hear from you what are the characteristics around this new role. Um, well, this is where I think it gets confusing for me because you're not a new row. But I think, I mean, you, you've talked a lot about in your podcast how this has opened you up to a new side of a more vulnerable self. And I, I mean, I've told you this, like the first episode that I listened to of your podcast, I was a fucking mess because... Honestly, like, we've always talked a lot, but we've never talked... I've talked to you like that, but you've never necessarily talked to me like that. Which is totally fair and valid, but hearing you talk about your emotions that way, it, like, opened my eyes to a side of you that I didn't know I didn't know. And that, I think, coming into this experience, I think has just... Like, now, like, playing that game last night, we played, um... What's it called? We're Not Really Strangers hearing you speak it like makes me feel things inside differently and like process what you're saying differently but you're still the same person so like I guess you're not a new you I just see a new side of you that I didn't know I didn't see before I it's I know this is not a personal thing but like it's not that I wasn't that vulnerable with anybody like with you I just I wasn't that vulnerable with anybody I wasn't that vulnerable with myself like this podcast for anybody who's listening who didn't know me before this, I ne- would, I never spoke about my emotions. And I mean, I said it repeatedly, like I went to therapy just to learn how to be vulnerable, but I never spoke about my emotions. And I feel like <clears throat> Ro before this would have processed this. It's so weird for me to be processing this the way I'm processing it because Ro before this would have not processed it like this <laughs> because Ro before this would have not talked about it or like, Well, it goes back to saying, like, I kept it to myself for such a long time and I was my own enemy. Do you have any last words you want to share? Um, You've always radiated confidence for me. From the day I met you, I think on the first impressions card, I said confident fashionista because you were dressed to the nines at work and you just carried yourself in a way that I was like, wow, I wish I could carry myself like that. And throughout our friendship, we've talked a lot about body confidence and body image and body security. And it's been something I've thought about a lot recently. Um, I'm not the most body confident person. I'm trying to work on it. In watching you go through this experience has been incredibly inspiring watching you, how resilient your body is and like going through unimaginable physical trauma and bouncing back in ways that are just insane to me. Like, I just, I think it's so amazing. But for me, I realized that I was really hard on my body. I mean, looks is one thing, but like, I don't think I ever appreciated what my body does for me. And like, um, sorry, now I'm going to get really emotional. Um, like we're just not very thankful as humans of like the fact that we can run 
and the fact that you can't run and like going to soul cycle is something that we used to love doing together like i go to soul cycle now and i just i feel so sad that you're not there and i feel so thankful for my body that it can do that and i feel really bad that i was so hard on myself and that we are so hard on ourselves as women like physical looks aside just like our bodies are incredible and I go for runs now and I just, when I feel tired, I'm like, I'm so thankful that I can feel that because watching you have to give up so much of like physical activity, which I know is really important for you and is something that's really close to my heart. Like that is a sacrifice that I could just not imagine making. And when I think about that, that makes my heart break. Um, and I just, yeah, I guess that. Um, I miss sharing that experience a lot with you, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that's, and that's something that I experience myself, like as limited amount of exercise I can do, I'm doing as much as I can just because I feel like it's so important to feeling healthier during this time. Um, but the fact that I went through a whole two weeks of not being able to really move my left side and now I do like one leg squat on my left side or I grab a weight on my left side and I'm like, it's not falling. I'm like, it's just, what? <laughs> like the fact that our bodies can do that and like put itself back together. And then Steve, I hate to give Steve a free shout out on this <laughs> because I'm, <laughs> I have so much clout. <laughs> Stephen Bartlett, um, he's got a podcast diary of a CEO, um, if you know him. But he said, um, when you're working out, I'm probably not going to do the exact quote, but he said, when you're working out, um, don't think about, you know, the effort of getting to work out or like, fuck, I have to go for a workout. Think about it like I get to work out. Mm -hmm. And that for me, even the mentality, that's how I work out now. I'm like, I get to work out today. Thank you to all my friends who came from all over the world to share my amazing birthday with me and took the time to sit down and chat about our experiences together. As you may have seen on Spotify, you can now rate podcasts on Spotify. So please head to the podcast page and hit that star button and give it a rating. As well as if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate it if you were to write a review.